morning. Welcome to Charlotte Chapel. My name is Paul Rees and I'm the senior pastor here at Charlotte Chapel and it's uh, good to have you here uh, with us today. It's great to see those children, isn't it? Those little babies. You can't help but smile, can you? See little baby? Uh, the whole family went through to Glasgow on Friday night to see the latest addition to the McDonald clan. That is uh, Shona's brother and his wife have just had a, their third child, uh, Zachariah McDonald. Zachariah Jude McDonald. What a glorious name. And uh, as I held this, uh, this, this baby that was sort of you know, three days old in my, in my arms, you know, hold this tiny little baby that just looks like a little old man, don't they? They look like a little old man uh, at that stage, I think. So anyway, and uh, beautiful child. Uh, <laughs> uh, I looked at this baby... And I looked up at my son, who's six foot and growing. And I thought, it didn't feel that long when I held him in my arms like that. Amazing. There he is, this big strapping boy, and he was a little helpless baby just like that. But of course, that's what we want, isn't it? We want the baby to grow to maturity. I want him to grow up big, strong, and healthy. And really, that is the, the passion that is behind James's letter. We're working through this letter of James. You want to open it up, perhaps, to uh, James chapter 3. You'll find that on page 1,215. And James writes this letter because he longs that the friends to whom he writes, that they would grow into maturity and stability. And we've already been considering how uh, he says the Lord brings this about. That surprisingly, the Lord uses trials and difficulties in our lives. And as we obey the Lord in those difficulties and trials, he is growing us to be mature and stable. James longs that they'll become sort of integrated, whole, complete Christians. And we've seen the central place that God's word has in this. Uh, James says uh, that God chose to give you birth through his word. The, the word of God is what the, agent, the God, agency that God uses to, to make us born again. And this is what the Bible says, that when you become a Christian, uh, it's not just simply that your parents were a Christian. You need to be born into new life. It is a spiritual rebirth that is going on. And that God does this to individuals. And that's why today we didn't baptize the children. We merely dedicated them and asked that the Lord would do that work in their lives. And, and, and what is God going to use? He's going to use His Word. Through the Word that is, uh, gives you birth. He chose to give you birth, it says in James chapter 1. We saw also the place that the God's Word has in, in helping us grow because it, as it goes on in chapter 1, it speaks of the fact that we've got to get rid of all the moral filth that kind of clogs up our lives and instead humbly accept God's Word planted in us. As we humbly accept this Word then this is how God is saving us. This is, this is the pathway to salvation as we, as we day by day humbly accept this word. What a precious thing is this word. And, and so this is what God is doing. He's growing us into being complete, mature believers. Now, the question is, what does that look like? 
What does it look like to be a mature believer? And last week we, we saw one characteristic. James is so practical. And what he said is actually, you see a mature, complete believer by the way that they can control their tongue. They have a controlled tongue. They have a tamed tongue. That's one of the characteristics of maturity. Are you a mature Christian? Are you a maturing Christian? Uh, are you growing in, in stature, in health? Well, one of the evidences that we are that sort of people is that our tongue is controlled. We don't say the first thing that comes up on the tip of our tongue. <laughs> we have grown to control that tongue. Or actually seek God's grace to control our tongue. But that was last week's sermon. All right? You can go back and review that. We've got videos and all the rest of it and audio. You can listen to that again. But the mark that he wants to look at this week is, is that the mature Christian is marked not only by that he has a controlled tongue, but that he's marked by wisdom. And that's what we're going to reflect on now. So let's hear what God has to say about wisdom. What page 1215, James chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Well, let's keep your Bibles open as we examine this, and let's ask God's help, shall we? Father, we thank you for that promise that if anyone lacks wisdom, we should ask you, and you give generously, you give uh, without finding fault, you give to all who ask, and so we want to take this time now to ask you that you would give us wisdom, that we may know what it is to live wise lives today, lives that are lived for the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask this in his precious name. Amen. Who is wise among you? Now that is a great question, isn't it? Who is wise among you? Who's wise among you? Who is wise among you? Are you thinking about it? Who is wise among you? It's a great question to ask in a university town, in a place like Edinburgh, uh, with lots of students studying at university. You're paying, some of you, huge amounts of fees from overseas to uh, come to these institutions. What do you think you're doing? Back in the 18th century, there was a seismic change in the intellectual 
elites uh, amongst our universities, which is called the Enlightenment. And in the 18th century, uh, uh, a, a big change took place. Before that, um, the study of the Bible, the study of theology, was called the Queen of the Sciences. It was the preeminent study, the study of God. That if you studied God, then all of the things, all of the aspects of knowledge and science flowed from that. But in the 18th century, there was a sort of a revolt against that. And there was the view that, no, actually, uh, we need to uh, rid ourselves of the shackles of God. Uh, In fact, man should be the arbiter of reason and truth. Uh, Man will be the center, and as we put away the immaturity of of looking to uh, a a God who may or may not be there, uh, we will stand and develop our knowledge from a base that man is at the center. We will work it out by deductive reasoning and science. And so you have this shift. You know, Aberdeen University's motto uh, when it started in the 15th century was um, the beginning um, of wisdom is the fear of the Lord's. Today, they tend to just quote the beginning of wisdom. Um, Harvard University, its motto was this, um, truth for Christ and the church. But now in the literature, they just quote veritas, truth. That's the shift that's happened. We've sought to uh, claim this knowledge apart from God. And so what I think has happened is that we've developed amazing amounts of knowledge. But we've lost wisdom. There is so much evidence to say all this accumulation of of man-made knowledge uh, has left us as a society that lacks wisdom because we've jettisoned God. So we've come to a place where in this last month, the Journal of Medical Ethics, uh, there is a paper published by two professors, one from University of Oxford and the other from University of Melbourne, And in a peer-reviewed article, they argue for the morality and uh, legalization of after-birth abortions, which is their preferred term for the legal killing of newborn children. There's where our knowledge has got us. People want to argue, well, you know, what difference does passing through a womb make? We kill them before, let's kill them after. We have no wisdom. And we live in a society now where politicians think they can redefine marriage as if marriage was ever a politically created institution. Lots of knowledge, no wisdom. Who is wise among you? What is wisdom? Well, wisdom is knowing how to live in God's world, how to live in the light of the glory of God. Wisdom is about how we harness knowledge in the light of who God is. Wisdom is, a, is about knowing how to use our reason and our science, our artistic abilities, our gifts and our abilities in the service of Jesus Christ. That is true wisdom. How do you recognize wisdom? How do you recognize wisdom? Well, James tells us in verse 13, You see it in someone's life. Look at verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life. 
by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Do you see here that wisdom is not about having a great education? It is not necessarily about having the ability to grasp all the facts or to get high grades. It's possible, in fact, to have um, lots of knowledge, multiple letters after your name from prestigious universities, and yet be an utter fool because you've not submitted your life to Jesus for his use. And James says, you know wise people by their wise lives. My friends, if you've never had a college education, let me tell you, you can be wiser than some of the top professors if you'll listen to God's word here now. Listen to what it has to say. You know wise people by their wise lives. Two characteristics to look for. Firstly, there in verse 13. A wise person is a humble person. Do you see that? The deeds done with humility that comes from wisdom. Now, that word humble could be translated a number of ways. It could be translated a meek person. Someone who has strength but uh, knows how to control that strength. Or, or a gentle person could be translated. It is, of course, a, a wonderful description that is ascribed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul says to the church in Corinth, I appeal to you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Uh, look at the person of Jesus Christ. Look, look at him in the gospel accounts. Here was someone who had awesome power, who could just with words still storms, do incredible things. Uh, and yet there was something about this man that uh, parents wanted to bring their children to him. He was not a scary person. He had awesome power. He was quite clearly brilliant in so many ways, and yet he was not an intimidating person. People wanted to bring their children that Lord Jesus would, would bless them, put his hands on them. That's the sort of person Jesus was. Uh, there, King Solomon in the Bible was fabled as uh, being the wisest man in all the earth. Remember that incredible uh, decision that he made as two women argued about which child was theirs. And he says, well, bring a sword. Let's chop the baby in two. And we'll decide, we'll give one half to each. And brilliantly discovered who was the right mother by the response. Great wisdom. Well, Jesus says uh, that one greater than Solomon had come in himself. Great wisdom meekness, gentleness. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was the Lord Jesus who said this, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Oh, listen to those words again. You maybe didn't hear them the first time around. This is what the Lord Jesus says, and I, I, I'm his spokesman here today. I'm speaking nothing really of myself here. I want to speak the words of Christ to you. He would say this to you, Come to me. All who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Have you taken up that offer? Have you taken up that offer? I, I don't know whether you hear somebody who is... Uh, Working hard to keep up appearances. 
who's desperately trying to uh, win the approval of others around you. Maybe you're aware of, of, of ways you've messed up in your relationships in the past, sins, things you've done wrong, and you're desperately trying to make, make them up, and you're trying to do all the things you can to make yourself somehow worthy again, somehow worthy before God and before others, and you're trying with all your efforts, and this is what Jesus has to say to you. Give, give up all that. Come to me. How exhausting to try and win your own right standing before God and others. And Jesus says, don't do that. Come to me. All you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. This is why he came. We're all sinners. We're all messed up. We've all uh, done things that have hurt others and put us out of relationship with God. And Jesus came as the perfect sinless one. And he graciously says, "Uh, come, I I will take that burden of your sin. I will take that burden of your shame. I I will take that striving that you have to make yourself somehow special in other people's eyes. Give it to me. You don't have to do that anymore. I'm gentle and meek. And you'll find rest for your souls. Put your trust in me, the Lord Jesus would say. Put your trust in what he, was going to, what he accomplished in his death upon the cross. And, and you'll find rest for your souls. Know that your sins are forgiven. You're right with God. What a tremendous, precious thing that is. Have you come to him? Have you come to Lord Jesus and, and, and got that rest? The offer's still on the table here today. If you've not taken it, can I urge you to do so? But I want you to see here that actually this gives us a wonderful definition of what this, uh, what this mark of wisdom is, this humble, this gentle meekness that you see in a wise person's life. Sinclair Ferguson makes this point. This is the mark of a wise person, that their lives are marked with a certain humility and gentle strength so that you would want to go to them and share your problems with them knowing that in some way they would be of help and you'd find a certain rest. Isn't that a great description of wisdom? You know, a wise person is someone that you, you see that there's a certain strength about them and there's a certain meekness and gentleness about them that if you went with your problem, they're not going to laugh at you. They're not going to mock you. But they're going to be able to help you carry your burden. They're going to give you counsel and help. They're wise people. Well, that's what a wise person is like. That humility that comes from wisdom. You know, what's the opposite? We we all know it, don't you? That person who, when you meet them, you meet them in strength. Oh, nothing's a problem. Everything's great. Everything's sorted. Everything's great. Everything's wonderful. You, you want to go and share your problems with them? I don't think so. See, this is a, a wise life is marked by humble gentleness. Secondly, uh, a wise person is known by their good conduct. It says in verse 13, by his good life. Now, that word good there has that sense of, of not just being good, but of being beautiful attractive Uh, we're talking about an attractive life the sort of life that when people see it they want to copy it 
That's another mark of a, of a wise person. You know a wise person by looking at their life and you say, well, there's something attractive there that I, I, I'd like them to mentor me. I'd, li- I'd like to be coached by them. I'd like, to, I'd, I'd like to learn from them because just look at the way it, it plays out in their life. There's an attractiveness to it. I've met brilliant professors with great academic achievements and when you got up close to their life, what you saw was a disordered moral mess. Lots of knowledge, no wisdom. Wouldn't want to copy them in a million years. See, the wise person is seen by the wise life, and it's seen in their choices, it's seen in what they do. Ultimately, as Christians, as we seek to become more like Jesus... That's an attractive life, isn't it? There was something about Jesus that drew the crowds. They wanted a piece of him. They wanted to be with him. They wanted to know him. They wanted to be blessed by him. There was just an attractiveness about this man's life. And as we become more like Jesus, then that is the life of wisdom that will be attractive. That others will turn to. And then James gives us a a distinction, doesn't he, between uh, two types of wisdom, true wisdom and false wisdom. The the wisdom from above is true wisdom. And then there's wisdom from below, earthbound, worldly wisdom, which is not true wisdom at all. I think the NIV is great in the way it puts little little, uh, marks around wisdom. Such wisdom, verse 15, does not come down from heaven. It's something that's masquerading as wisdom. See, two characteristics of false wisdom there in verse 14 is, uh, look at verse 14, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. See, one characteristic of false wisdom is it's boastful. Earthbound wisdom says that the most important thing is to be confident, to be self-assured, to always presenting strength, the sort of person who, when you meet them, convey very quickly how superior they are uh, than you are and how much more successful uh, they are um, and really how little you are compared to them. Uh, everything in their speech says, look at me, look at you, look at me, look at you, right? And, and it seems to me that in some ways that that's how sports people are often trained to speak. Yeah, really feeling very confident about this. And uh, this, is, this is how sportsmen are. And also how, how certain super confident business people are presenting themselves. The, uh, the dragons of the dead. And they have lots more money than you. They have lots more achievements than you. And therefore, they're really a lot better than you. And you're not in their league. Now, these are not the sort of people that will bear your burden, are they? No, this pseudo-wisdom is marked by boastfulness, uh, pride in achievement, outdoing others, selfish ambition, stirs up all sorts of envy. That's that's pseudo-wisdom. And secondly, they deny the truth in verse 14, which is to say they don't align their lives with the truth of God's words. Their horizon is strictly horizontal. Look at verse 15. Such wisdom does not come down from 
above, from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. There is a form of wisdom that is pushed out in the world which is about saying, well, you can live life as if there is no God and it's no problem at all. Live life as if God is an irrelevancy. And life really just becomes about the next gadget, um, the next possession, the next pleasure, uh, the next achievement without any regard for the truth of God. The reality of what the Bible has to say is that life is short and then judgment comes. And if you live your life without regard to this ultimate reality, you are a fool. A fool. No wisdom in it at all. And it seems to me this is the proud boast of enlightenment men and women. They can't see beyond the horizon of their life, their short little life. They don't see that it's short. They don't see that there's judgment. They don't see that there's hell uh, to, to, and heaven. I heard a great quote by Charles de Gaulle this week who quipped that graveyards are full of indispensable men. Lots of people went through life just said, look, this nation needs me. I'm indispensable. Graveyards are full of indispensable men. And one of the promises of the Enlightenment, of course, was that as we're freed from the tyranny of having to listen to God and listen to the Bible, then we're going we're gonna to grow up in maturity and we're going to uh, self-improve. We're going to build a better world. Uh, we're going to become better people. Uh, but the result of such pseudo-wisdom is revealed in verse 16. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you'll find disorder and every evil practice. And for all our technological improvements, for all our knowledge, I think that's still a very fair description of the problems of our society. Disorder and evil practice. Far from being freed, our society is kind of going back to a pre-Christian paganism where many are enslaved with drug addiction, self-harm, broken relationships. I was reading a report in the weekend of... uh, they reckon there's 75,000 trub- uh, families that, in Britain that cause most of the societal problems. And the biggest mark of these is that they are fatherless. Fatherless. Fatherless homes creating disturbed children and troubled communities that are just taking up so much of the time of the police. These are, these are the real consequences of a worldly wisdom that discounts God and far from being enlightened, is actually happily promoted by who? Well, it's of demons, it says. The demonic world is very happy to stir up such disorder and disaster in society. Now contrast that with true wisdom, verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from above is pure. First of all, pure peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. The wisdom that comes from heaven or comes from above. Now that's exactly what we've been told back in chapter 117. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. True wisdom is received by God's revelation. It's received by listening to the Bible. 
False wisdom says, put that in the bin. It's rubbish. Well, look at the chaos that's ensuing. True wisdom says, no, I need to to listen to this. True wisdom has come from above. It's found in his words. And if we want to be wise, we must turn to God and listen and obey his words. And look at these wonderful qualities that flow from it. First of all, it's pure, it says. And really it has that idea that it, it makes us one whole person, uh, that we're committed to one person. As chapter 2, verse 1 says, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, he unites us under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And this is the good fruit it produces. It's peace-loving. It produces gentle, considerate people, submissive people, someone who's willing to be persuaded, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial. Now, that word there has the idea of uh, being a stable person, Someone who's not uncertain, someone who's not in two minds all the time in the way that they're thinking. No, it produces a sort of a stable, clear thinking person. And sincerity is, is about your practice. Someone who doesn't wear a mask. Someone who's not torn, sort of, you know, one minute they're like this and one minute like this. No, there's no hypocrisy with uh, those who absorb this wisdom that comes from above. Do you know what? When we truly know God, when we truly know that we are accepted by God through trusting the Lord Jesus Christ, then we don't have to put on a face mask. We don't have to put up a show. We don't have to work hard to create appearances because we really know who God is and we know that we're accepted by God because of Jesus, because we've trusted Jesus. We know wise people by their lives and the final characteristic we see in wise people's lives that they're the, is, is, is the way that they are about the business of sowing peace. Look at verse 18. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Who's wise among you? Well, we'll know by looking at your life, won't we? We'll know by looking at your life and whether you bear these marks and we'll know that because you're the sort of person that promotes peace now this is a great verse for congregationally governed church isn't it Um, uh, congregational government where all the members have a voice and can speak well it's important for us to listen to God's word and think about this wonderful verse verse 18 a person who quite often seems to be wanting to stir up some controversy or restlessness in others is is that a wise person according to this no not a wise person at all Um, a person who's always stirring up conflict who's always wanting to have gossip the 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 news that they know that you know some something oh do you know about this and oh you got to do something about this is that a wise person not not according to james no However um, superior that person's wisdom is proclaimed to be, that the reality of the life there is it it's not. Wisdom from above is peace-loving, is considerate, is submissive, it's full of mercy. Someone who works to promote peace and spread peace. Praise God for people like that. 
they are creating the sort of um, fellowship soil uh, in which God is producing a harvest of righteousness. Uh, people who work to be peacemakers within a congregation are going to cultivate the conditions where there's just an increasing growth of righteousness in that church. That will become like those very qualities of verse 17, a congregation of people who are pure and devoted to Christ, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and, and sincere. See, not every comment by a church member in a business meeting shows biblical wisdom. And we need to, con- need to have discernment as we weigh that. Do you know what? Not every elder, uh, every comment that an elder makes is marked with wisdom. Uh, which is why we have congregational government. In case the elders go all wacko and lose the plot. Because uh, elders can lack wisdom as well. And that's why it's great to have a congregation of mature Christian believers who will uh, provide some helpful checks to the elders. But in all this process, peacemakers are those who sow in peace and they will raise a harvest of righteousness. Isn't this what the Lord Jesus told us? Blessed are the, what? Peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they will be called sons of God. If wisdom comes from above, from the Father, and that wisdom produces someone who loves peace, who sows peace, and you're a peacemaker, you are showing that you are in the family likeness, that you are sons of God. So are we going to pursue biblical wisdom? Well, the answer could be no. No, we're not. Well, just, if that's your attitude, look at the results again. Look at the results a disordered restless unstable life a heart that harbors bitter envy and selfish ambition it's not looking too pretty is it not looking too pretty i remember a, a young couple who uh, were excited about our church and they went to a pastoral business meeting in a fellowship group and They'd been to many studies before and enjoyed the studies, but somehow everybody seemed to change at that pastoral business meeting. And they didn't know what was going on. And some of the comments that people made were so discouraging that they came to me and they said, we're not sure we want to join this church anymore. Is that what this church is like? And I said, you know what? It really isn't. I don't know what happened that night. Because actually... The majority of people in this congregation are not like that at all. This is a peaceful congregation. Uh, There's many wise people in this congregation. So why don't you stick around and work with us that we would grow this harvest of righteousness in this congregation. So are we going to pursue wisdom, biblical wisdom, God's wisdom? I pray the answer wouldn't be no. I pray the answer would be yes. Who do you think of when you think of a wise person right now? Who's been a wise person in your life? What is some of the... Can you think of that person? I can think of several people. I can think of um, my wife's parents, Ian and Jean McDonald. And um, for some reason, if there's a problem in the church, if people have got some counsel... They come to Ian and Jean. 
they just go to them. Uh, they're wise people. And uh, Ian uh, is a guy who's uh, worked as a dentist all his life. But you know what? Uh, alongside his career as a dentist, he's a guy who has soaked himself in the scriptures, who loves God's word, who um, prays, applies that word into his life. His mar- life is marked by an obedience to God's word. And it's an attractive life, Ian and Jean's life. And so when people have problems, they go to them. And Ian is a quiet man. Not a pushy. You know, you go into a room, you wouldn't notice if you came into the room. You know, I come in the room, it's, hey, ho, what do you know? That's not Ian. So consequently, more people go to Ian for help than come to me. Because there's a gentleness there. If I, if, I, if I take my problem to him, he's, he's not going to laugh at me and he's going to be able to help me. He's going to help carry this load for me. He's a wise person. Have you, have you, can you think about people like that? Is that not true of the people in your mind? The wise people? Soaked in God's word, who've obeyed it for years. And there's a sort of a gentle humility about their life that is so attractive and you go to them. Are you wise? Do people come to you seeking wisdom? Would you like to be that sort of person? Here's a wonderful promise, a wonderful invitation. In James 1 verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. What a precious promise. Every Christian believer here can be a wise person. We just need to ask God to give us that wisdom. We need to get rid of that moral filth that sometimes clogs up our lives and instead humbly receive this implanted word in our lives. And God will produce in us a harvest of righteousness. And we will increasingly become wise people. Isn't that great? Do you know what? You feel like I haven't really made much progress at this point? Don't be discouraged. It can really start from here, from today. God gives generously. Let's ask him, shall we? Let's pray.